Mark Garrett, would you would you come come up here help me for a minute? I'm gonna, this is this is totally in, impromptu. impromptu. Yeah, Mark's doing insurance. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna ask you, would you do something? Try. I'll try. Just in a in a, a nutshell, <laughs> when you stand here singing, and I was in the short time that I've known you, you you you've gone through some change. Gone, gone through quite a bit. And just in a, if you can, in a few words, I'm kind of putting you on the spot to ask you to share your testimony yes, for just a are. minute. Yeah. <laughs> How has your relationship with God in the last year or two changed? What would you say? Dependence. Yeah. That's it. Dependence. So you, you feel like you're different? Yes. Yeah. It's good. You can't do this to me, man. I'm telling you. This is killing me. Yeah. Um, the stuff you depend on, you can't. The stuff you haven't been depending on, you can. Trust him. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Uh, God is good and faithful, and and He is at work. And and um, I don't I don't think that I fully grasp, and perhaps none of us really fully grasp how God is at work in the life of this church. There are, there are things. There are things that are happening all the time that we never hear about. I wish that we could just uh, let just Sunday, just all of you share your stories. Uh, what you see God do and, and uh, what you're learning, what God's teaching you and showing you. And um, we, don't, we don't get to do that. So, hey, that's, a, that's a, another good reason if you're, in a, if you're connected with a Sunday school class or the group, you get to talk and share and and so we'll do that. Um, thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Don and choir. And um, We start our missions month this morning. And so I invite you to open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 24. Uh, Luke, obviously, is the writer of this gospel, most likely a Gentile. Luke was not one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, very likely one of the 70 that he uh, refers to that's mentioned in Luke chapter 10. Luke writes his gospel like the others, and he adds some insights and some details that he's a physician, and so the physicians are a little more, most of the time given to a little more detail, and so he writes of Jesus' birth and his life and his service, ministry, teaching, uh, and, and then ultimately he writes of his trial, crucifixion, and death. And in chapter 24, is where we're going to begin to look at some scripture. Uh, he records some things regarding his resurrection. Once Jesus is risen from the dead for the next 40 days, he begins to appear before he ascends finally back to the Father and sends his spirit. He appears for 40 days to his followers to, to bolster their faith during that time. And the text that we're going to read is one of those proofs. It's one of those 
examples of Jesus appearing. And so I invite you to read this text with me and then we're going to pray. But starting at Luke 24, verse 44, let me get get out of the book of Esther. Uh, Luke 24, starting at verse 44. So if you have your Bible, let me get there. We'll read together. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it was written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Let's pray together. Father God, you are the one true living God. There are no other living gods but you. You are the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, present with us by your Spirit. We've sensed your presence. We ask that you would make yourself known now through your Word as we see it, as we read it, as we hear it, and that we would receive it. Help us to know the truth that you choose to reveal and then to respond by faith, faith that brings forth trust and obedience, bringing you pleasure. We make these requests in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jesus' disciples saw him crucified, suffering on a cross, and then To know that he had died and to know that he was buried, it deeply affected them and their faith and their understanding of who he was. And once he was dead and gone, they are a, just for a better word, I don't don't know a better word than they're a mess. Uh, They're meeting together in Jerusalem in a room with the doors locked. They're alone together, filled with the emotions of fear and discouragement, trying to talk and understand what had transpired, trying to make sense of it. And the text that we read in verse 44, Jesus appears to them, risen, alive, and he says to them in verse 44, Everything that you're experiencing now is what I told you about when I was with you. And then in verse 45, it says, this is what 
has been written in the scriptures. Jesus shows up in his resurrected body to do two things, to present himself unto them, to, to kind of bolster their faith, to encourage them, to provide proof that he was risen, that he was alive. And then second, to show them from the scriptures who he is. Earlier in the 24th chapter, if you want to keep your Bible open, I want to just point some additional things out here from this text that leads in to our text. But starting in verse 13, he had done the same thing earlier that day or the day before. He did the same thing. A couple of disillusioned disciples are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Some of you have heard about the Emmaus walk. These two disciples, troubled, walking, leaving Jerusalem, headed to Emmaus, and Jesus appears to them, and the Bible says their eyes were kept from recognizing who he was, and he engages them in a conversation. Jesus appears and asks these two disciples, what are you all talking about? You all seem sad. And they answer, well, where have you been? You must not be from around these parts. Because if you were from around here, you would be more informed. Are you a stranger? And Jesus says, well, tell me what's going on. And they begin to tell Jesus about this powerful prophet who goes by the name of Jesus. And they tell Jesus everything about this prophet. And then they go on to tell him a few women who were very close to him, this guy, went to the tomb early where this morning where he was buried and now they're going around telling everybody that he's not there. And they even said that an angel appeared to them and told them that he's alive. Some of our companions, in order to check it out, to confirm it, went to Jesus' tomb to verify the report. And sure enough, Jesus' body was gone, but there was no angels. I want to pause there for just a moment because at that point in the conversation... When Jesus is talking to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, trying to understand, trying to sort this stuff out, why didn't Jesus just say to them, ta-da, it's me, I'm here. After all, that's what they were interested in, that's what they were curious to know. He's, is he dead or is he alive? And they're on a quest to try to figure out what they believed Instead of Jesus revealing to them who he is, he does, leads them in a Bible study. Leads them in a Bible study. He, instead of self-disclosure, he goes into this comprehensive lesson from the Old Testament. He starts with the law of Moses and then shifts to the prophets and then shifts to the Psalms and he begins to teach them that everything that is happening then was already written about thousands of years before. Verse 27 says he goes back to the scriptures and then just on the spot without any preparation, Mark, you're in good company, he teaches them from the scriptures things that give witness, things that give testimony to who he is. I would have liked to have been there to hear that Bible lesson. I would have liked to have been there to hear Jesus teach, to hear what he said, to take notes, and to learn how he did it. And when he is finished, 
and he was about to leave. Verse 29 says they urged him. They pressured him to stay with us. Jesus agrees. And eventually he reveals himself to them over a meal. And as they begin to break bread, they begin to understand this is Jesus, that he is alive. And if you want to read, these are great verses. Chapter 24, starting at verse 31. Look at these verses. And they said, these two disciples, they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? These two disciples were different after that. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says they get up, they hightail it right back to Jerusalem, and they begin witnessing, telling everyone else about their, in their encounter, their experience with the risen Christ. Jesus' appearance provided proof. He was risen. He was alive. They saw him. They heard his voice and saw him expound from the scriptures. Now, that's not what happened to any of us. None of you were walking down Bankhead Street here in New Albany and Jesus appeared to you. None, none of you were sitting in El Agave eating some chips and salsa talking about Jesus and Jesus sat down at the table with you and said, pass some guacamole. And then all of you sat around eating fajitas together and then he said, I am Jesus and if you have your Bible, I'd like to show you some stuff from Scripture. Any of you have that kind of experience? Don't raise your hand if, if you have. No. That's not how you and I came to know Christ. That's not how we came to have faith in him. Where was it? We met Jesus where? Where did you meet Jesus? Well, you met him in the scriptures. And from the lives of other people who gave witness and testimony to you about him. Here's the point. We know Jesus, and we know things about Jesus from the scriptures. It was the same way that those disciples came to understand more about Jesus as he began to reveal everything in the Old Testament. So I believe that Jesus was intentional by not revealing himself to them initially, taking them through the scriptures because he was setting an example for his disciples then and today. God has provided you and I with the scriptures, with his word, and it's through his word that he reveals himself. All of us this morning who know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith came to faith by the witness of scripture. We heard the gospel. The Holy Spirit did his work. We were moved to repentance and faith, and God regenerated us. God made us alive. And now in our text, Jesus is doing it again, the same thing, except instead of meeting with these two disciples on the Emmaus Road, now he appears to the larger group. He arrives, he appears on the scene. Look with me at verse 36. Verse 36. And as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. And they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit or a ghost. 
And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy, and they marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Verse 41 says, in their joy, they, they, they have seen him alive. They believed, but they still kind of didn't believe. It was too amazing. They marveled. It was too amazing to believe. Have you ever been like that? where you had faith, but sometimes you just struggled and you said, am I just imagining this? Sometimes it's hard to believe. Then in verses 44 and 45, he says to them, this is what I already told you. I already told you about all of this. All this is going to happen. This is what is written in the scriptures. Point is they needed what you and I need. Look at verse 45. It says, Jesus opened their minds. He opened their understanding. For what purpose? He opened their minds. He opened their understanding for them to comprehend the scriptures, to know God. That's that you think with me. A man, a woman at any age can read the Bible and can know Bible facts and know all kinds of information about Scripture and know Bible stories and Bible words and doctrinal positions from the Bible, but in order to be saved, it requires more than that. You can know the Bible, but in order to be saved, your mind has to be illumined. It has to be open. The heart has to be open. The heart has to be softened, and that can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you could say, yes, that's right. I read the Bible all of my life. I grew up going to church. I heard Bible stories. I was made aware of biblical facts. And I could even tell you those stories and recount Bible answers. But then one day, everything changed. I saw myself before a holy God and I was aware of my sins and I saw Christ and I was aware of his righteousness and I knew I was under judgment. I knew that I was condemned and my life changed. I repented of my sins and was made new. I was made different and felt this overwhelming desire to know Christ and to please Christ and to serve Christ with all of my life. First Peter says that when we're saved, the, the Spirit of God gives us a new nature, and that new spiritual neighbor, nature begins to crave and hunger for new things, the things of God, the things of Christ. My favorite parable in the Bible is a one-verse parable. It's Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus tells the story about a man, he was a farmer, and he went out into the field to work one day like every day of his life. And one day while plowing in that field, something very unexpected happened to that farmer. As he was plowing in that field, that metal plow, that blade 
struck something deep down into the earth. And when he began to examine what was there, he discovered there was treasure, buried treasure in the earth, and his life changed. The Bible says he was willing to do anything and everything he needed to do to possess that treasure. I believe that our churches today are full of men and women of all ages who know the Bible, who know Bible stories and Bible facts and have been in church most of their life, but their minds have yet to be fully opened up. They still lack understanding to comprehend the grace of God and who Jesus Christ is. You say, why do you think that? Well, because there's no change in them. No hunger for God, no thirst for God, no longing, no. You remember the psalm as a living deer pants for streams of water, Lord, so does my soul pant, hunger after you, long for you. Our churches have people in them that are not too concerned about God, not concerned about his mission, not passionate about knowing Christ and making Christ known or bringing glory to God with their life. You see, the great need, the human need is for the mind to be opened up, to understand, to comprehend the gospel. You might be saying, well, Pastor Charlie, are you saying people are not saved who say they're saved? My answer to that is twofold. First, it's not my job to judge anyone, nor is it yours. You can judge and see outward things and kind of raise some questions, but none of us can really know the heart except God. So it's not our job. But second, the Bible is clear that there are tares among the wheat. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so if I was a gambler, I would be very hesitant to put my money on every member's name who is on the church roll. The fact is, we cannot know who God is we cannot know who Jesus is. We cannot know how to come into a right relationship with God and how to live for him without the witness of the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. And one of the great needs, even among Christians, even among those who are saved, is for our minds to be continually opened, for us to continue to gain understanding. It's kind of like to be recalibrated, recalibrated. Our minds to be recalibrated on the gospel, living for Christ, living on mission, and it's a constant recalibration. Wouldn't you say so? Personally, my mind, my thoughts, my feelings, my moods, my opinions, all of that needs constant recalibration. The text that we read, the disciples needed some recalibration. They're disillusioned. Their faith needs to be adjusted, restored, challenged, encouraged. Jesus appears, they see him alive. He says, this is what I was telling you about ahead of time. This is what the scriptures have already foretold. And so our closing minutes together, I want you to consider four things with me that Jesus tells them that they needed to know regarding God's mission. Four things they needed to know regarding God's mission. I'll give them all four of them to you right, right at the start here. He tells them, this is God's plan. What you're experiencing is God's plan. Number two, this is the purpose that I have for you. 
Number three, to be clear, you brothers are my personnel. And finally, don't try to do any of this until you're endued with power. And so a plan, a purpose, personnel, and power. Let's look at the plan. Jesus provides the bigger picture. In verse 44, he says, this is what I was telling you about while I was still with you. And here in the text, Jesus is with them again, but he's not like, he's not with them like he was before. He's just visiting now. It's temporary. He's about to leave. The point, things are different now, very different. And he is telling them some things that they need to remember, things that he had already told them. If you would turn with me over to Luke chapter 9, and then we'll come back here to chapter 24. But this is a time where, where Jesus had already told them about this. Luke chapter 9, read with me verse Forty-four. Let these words sink down into your ears. For the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Look at verse 45. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about what he was saying. Jesus had been telling them, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be tried, he's going to be crucified on a cross, and on the third day, I will be raised from the dead. He had been telling them that over and over and over. They're perplexed, they don't really grasp it, and they're hesitant to ask him to explain it, what he really means. And now, in this text, in verse 44, he says, this that you are experiencing is that. This is what I was telling you about while I was still with you. The point is, if we don't know that, we're not going to understand this. That, he's telling them about the gospel. This is God's plan, the cross, the gospel. It was determined. Listen, God's plan, the gospel, wasn't just a last minute or later idea that God came up with when he saw men and women sinning against him. Oh, I'm in trouble and things are going bad, so I need to come up with an alternative plan. That's not the case at all. The Bible says the gospel, this plan was determined from all eternity, from the beginning. The, this plan is the entire theme of the Bible. God has a plan his mission is to make his name great and for him to be glorified, and all of that is fulfilled in Christ. If someone were to ask you, do you know what is the most important thing to God? If someone were to ask you, what is, you're a Christian, what would you say is the most important thing to God? What would you say? The Bible is very clear in answering it. God's most concerned about his name. He's most concerned about his glory. Does he love you? Does he love me? Absolutely. Is he concerned about us? Yes. But he's more concerned about his name and his glory. And the reason that God saved you and me is so that we would exalt his name, praise his name, magnify his name, and bring glory and honor to him. And the reason he's given us a mission is to advance his name, to help other people to know his name and to know his gospel so that they could bring him glory and honor and praise as well. Amen. The plan 
for salvation emerges from God the Father. The procuring of salvation comes from the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, and the applying of salvation to those who would be saved and sustained would be by the work of the Holy Spirit. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul summarizes this mission. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at the third verse. Would you read with me? Ephesians 1, starting at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Paul is writing to the Ephesians, explaining to them how they fit into this big picture. It's the same thing that Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples. God's plan is the gospel. It's been his plan from the beginning. And here's the purpose. Look at verse 46 and 47 of Luke 24. This is the purpose. You see it? This is the truth of the Bible. All scripture points to this theme. And he said to them, it is written, it is necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning here, right where you are in Jerusalem. There are three verbs in that purpose. Jesus said, this is what was written. It's for the Messiah to suffer. It's for the Messiah to rise. And it's for repentance and forgiveness to be proclaimed to be shared, to be preached to all the nations. Repentance, turning away from self, turning away from sin, turning to God. Repentance involves shame and remorse and grief for our sins. And so we turn to God and turn to his mercy. Forgiveness is mercy made available. And once you notice in verse 47, the message is to be preached how? In Christ's name, and it's to be proclaimed to who? All nations. All nations. How many of you feel blessed to live in this country? Pretty good place. Our standard of living, our blessings, all of the things that we have that most of the world could never even imagine. We're blessed to live in this nation. But listen, 
to me, church, our concern has to expand beyond the Pacific on the west and the Atlantic on the east. That's God's mission. His plan is the gospel. His purpose is for the gospel to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, in Philippians 2 where it says, let this mind be in you which is also yours in Christ Jesus. I heard one scholar make a comment on that command and he says, you and I can never, never have the mind of Christ until we begin to think globally, until we begin to think about the nations. Psalm 46 says, God says, be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations. The call is be still and know who I am. I am the God of the nations. That's the gospel. That's his plan. That's his purpose. Revelation 7, 9, that one day every knee in heaven, there would be every person from every tribe, every tongue, every people group of the earth would be there gathered in eternity with him. God's plan is the gospel. His purpose is for the gospel to be known, for it to be spread. And look with me at verse 48. Jesus singles out the personnel. Any of you ever have any personnel issues where you work? I know you do. Who, who are God's personnel for sharing the gospel, for advancing the gospel? Well, it's the people that Jesus is speaking to in that room. He's speaking to them. He says, you, you are my personnel, Acts 1.8. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power to be my witnesses right where you are and then to advance. I want to encourage you this morning, if you are saved, to remind you that you're a witness. Witnessing is bigger than just something you do. Jesus doesn't say to the his disciples, you shall receive power and then you'll do witnessing. It's our identity. It's who we are. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And so it's a fact that every day you and I are witnessing. You're witnessing today. You're gonna, you'll, you'll be his witness tomorrow. The, the question is, is really not, are you witnessing? The question is, what kind of witness are you? You may be very effective or very non-effective or somewhere in between, and you might be effective one day and not effective the next day, but the fact is we are witnesses. You say, how do you do it? How do we witness? Well, to do it like Jesus did it. How did Jesus do it? Jesus... If you want to follow the example of Christ in witnessing, you share scripture. How did he reveal himself? How did he open their minds? How did they comprehend? How did their understanding come around? It was through the scriptures being shared under the power, the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so you and I witness in conversations. How many of you get around other people when you get around them, especially brothers and sisters in Christ, you talk about scripture? talk about God, you talk about his church, you talk about ministry, you talk about God's faithfulness to you and how God has blessed you and how God's been good. You know, I, I challenged you last Sunday to 
maybe just think about, start just this, using this phrase more frequently. God's been good to me. God's been faithful to me. God has blessed me. Those simple phrases like that open up. Open up opportunities to, go, to talk further, but we have those conversations, hopefully, at home, with our families, at work. Mindy and I talk about things from the Bible. What do you think about this? I don't know. What do you think about that? I don't know. What do you think about that? We talk about God to other people and share that. You see, the challenge is to study the scriptures and to let it pour out of you wherever you go, informally or formally, naturally through conversation and perhaps even through Bible studies. But our concern for sharing the gospel has Listen to me. It has to include the nations. It has to include the nations. I know this sounds pretty crass and it's not my notes, but I'm going to say it anyways. Too many of our churches are constipated. You with me? Everything's going in, nothing's going out. We wonder why God is not blessing us. Why? God's spirit is not moving while we're not seeing people saved and people discipled and starting new groups and new Sunday school classes. It's because we're focused on ourselves. And we'll never have the mind of Christ. We'll never be used of God the way that God wants us to use until we start thinking about lostness of the world, the lostness of the nations. People are dying going to hell without any hope, without any opportunity to have their sins. Listen, as you read the Bible, if you know another way that the Bible says for men and women to have their sins atoned for, the Bible says that all of us are sinners condemned before God and without some atoning work, without the work of Christ, show me another way in the Bible that God is going to atone and forgive sins. They're not lost because they haven't heard about Jesus. They're lost because they're already condemned. They're condemned in their sins. The Bible says that whoever has not believed is already condemned. And we're just too focused on ourselves. How do you do it? How do we advance the gospel, starting where we are to the nations? Well, Jesus says the source in verse 49 is the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples to stay here, to wait, to tarry, and once empowered to go. And as you go and as you live, to share the gospel. That Remember the Great Commission? Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the scriptures And I promise you, I'm with you to the end of this endeavor, to the end of the age. I'm with you. Our need is to have our minds open to understand the gospel and for God to bear witness with us where we would have a passion to say, God, use me. Whatever it takes, God, use me to be a witness for you, to have impact right where I am and then to the nations. And three Sundays, we're going to give you an opportunity to take a first step, to be a part of that.
to pray more, to pray more about lostness, more about those who are unsaved, to pray more that God would raise up laborers for the harvest to, to go to the nations, to pray about what your involvement is, should be in that, and to get involved. I mean, think about this. When you, when you think about your life, and I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you or manipulate anyways, but just from Scripture, as you think about your life, how could you say that God has used you how is God using you to advance the gospel? That's, that's, a, that's a worthy question. And that's what we're trying to do as we go through this mission month and then finally to invest. Um, to invest, to give. Um, and this offering goal is almost a quarter of a million dollars mission team is set for the goal the resources are there it's just whether or not we're willing to invest to lay up our treasure for eternity and maybe to say no to ourselves on some things in order to invest more in, into eternity and to invest more into things that really matter and so I'm going to be asking you without without any hesitancy, without any shame, without any embarrassment, reluctance at all, I'm going to ask you to, to pray and seek God's face about what he wants you to give to the nations. And you'll come up with some. The Spirit of God will lead you, and it'll probably be bigger than what you will come up with. And then you're going to go through a wrestling match with God, and you're going to say, God, I can't do that. I can't afford to do that. No, you can't. That's why it's sacrificial. That, that we... Uh, not, not that we'd hit a, a goal or that's not the aim. The aim is for us to invest in eternity, to invest in the gospel. So I'm going to be asking you to do that. Would you, would you bow in prayer with me this morning as Don and the musicians come and we close?